Well, Gary Bryant Jr., former USC wide receiver, is now an Oregon Duck. And he brings two things of note to Oregon's roster. Here we go. You are Locked On Ducks, your daily podcast on the Oregon Ducks, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Yes, it is that time once again for Locked On Ducks. I'm your host, Spencer McLaughlin. Thank you so much for making this your first listen or your first view of the day. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day, and your number one source to stay up to date with the Ducks. If you haven't already, like, comment, subscribe, please, and thank you wherever you listen to or watch the show. We're about to hit 2,500 on YouTube. Can we get there by the time this video comes to a close? Over half the people who watch my shows, which I'm very, very grateful for, are not subscribed. Hmm. Just a thought. Let's see what happens come Tuesday morning. Come Monday morning, though, when this show is dropping, we've got a new wide receiver to talk about. His name, as many of you know, is Gary Bryant Jr. He has three years of eligibility remaining. Actually redshirted this past season at USC after he got bumped down the depth chart. 5'11", 180-pound wideout, who was a top 50 recruit in the 2020 cycle, I believe was one of the top athletes in that class, was a very very highly rated four-star prospect coming out of high school. And this will be his fourth year of college football. And yet he'll have three years of eligibility if he wants to use them all with the ducks. This of course is his one-time transfer rule without having to sit out a year. So barring a waiver or, you know, graduating, being a grad transfer, he wouldn't uh, have any other options, but he's going to play at least one season in Eugene. So now he gets added to Oregon's wide receiver room and, he brings two things of note. Number one, depth. And the depth in Oregon's receiver position, I thought was fine. I didn't think they needed to add Gary Bryant Jr. Would I rather have him than not have him? Yeah, of course. You never know when freak injuries are going to happen. I mean, you know, back in the day, Justin Roper was like the fifth quarterback to play that season. You never know. Wide receivers, you never know. I mean, if Troy Franklin, God forbid, were to go down with an injury, Suddenly, you wouldn't feel quite so good about the wide receiver room. But I, I, I contend Oregon didn't need to add him, but I'm certainly glad to have him for, for a couple of reasons. He brings depth, but he also brings, I guess there's three things, speed. And we've talked about team speed, and Dan Lanning's talked about team speed needing to increase from a year ago. I think you're seeing that with Gary Bryant. I think you're seeing that with the Tez Johnson additions to the wide receiving core this offseason. Bo Nix's brother coming over from Troy. We saw him in the spring game. He's very, very fast. But he also brings versatility. And I think that's one of the reasons that Lanning and wide receiver coach Junior Adams and Will Stein, the OC, saw this as a fit. Bryant is a guy who you can line up inside, or you can line up outside. And when you look at where Oregon's wide receiver room currently stands, I think you have two pretty clear options on the outside. Troy Franklin, of course, being the top option. Treshawn Holden probably being the other one. Tez Johnson and Chris Hudson battling it out for you know playing time in the slot. Those are all experienced, proven players at the Power 5 level. And Bryant has proven that he can be a productive member of a wide receiving core at the Power 5 level, as I'll touch on in a moment. But he's someone who can play in the slot or he can play outside. So if Holden were to go down or if Franklin were to go down, Bryant could be a guy who could step in. Or if one of the slot guys were to go down, if they end up splitting time, which is kind of what I suspect, he can go into any one of those spots. So I think that's kind of where he fits in. But he's had three very different seasons uh, since getting to USC. 
in the COVID year, like everything was weird, but USC was throwing the ball a lot. He played in five games. USC played in six, I think. I don't know if they played in the bowl game that year. I know they played in at least five. They were five and zero oh when they lost to the Ducks in the Pac-12 championship game. He played in five games. He had seven catches, 51 yards, no touchdowns. And then in 2021, he kind of looked like he had broken out and was becoming a star for USC in their wide receiving core. In 10 games, he caught 44 passes, 579 yards, seven touchdowns. And then there's a regime change at USC. Lincoln Riley comes in. He brings with him Jordan Addison and Mario Williams and Brendan Rice, amongst others, but most notably those three, who are all ahead of him on the depth chart. He plays in just three games a season ago. He catches two passes for 15 yards, no touchdowns. He red shirts, and now he's in the portal, and of course coming to the Ducks. So we've seen the potential, right? If he is a number two or three option, he could be a guy who ends up in, in I think, the four to 500 yard range, right? I mean, you know, 579, that was in a very pass happy offense. So I, I don't think, you know, barring an injury to Troy Franklin, he could replicate that sort of production, but he could get in, in that sort of range with regards to, you know, his yardage output, depending on where he falls on the depth chart. And, and the curious part about this is, I look at Oregon's receiving core and I don't know where exactly he slots in. I talked about the versatility, right? And I'm curious what you all think. So drop your thoughts in the YouTube comments or shoot me a note on Twitter at smalls underscore 55 or at locked on ducks, because I look, I, I don't see the immediate spot, right? Like Treshawn Holden looks really good and Troy Franklin looks good. And Kyler Casper looks ready to to go and in, to grow into an increased role. And Jurion Dickey's coming in the fall. Now maybe they add Bryant because you know I know Dickey's had some uh, some injury struggles while he's been in high school, so maybe they don't they don't feel like he'll be fully ready come fall. That could be uh, playing a factor as to why they they make this addition. But like I don't see him automatically sliding in and being a starter, right? I mean, obviously he'd be more likely to replace Treshawn Holden than, than Troy Franklin, but. I don't feel like a guy of Holden's caliber would have come to Oregon if, you know, he ever had the sense or if he ever got an inclination from the coaching staff or if the coaching staff felt that he was, you know, not capable of firmly locking down the number two receiver slot. But I, I think this will also be kind of a, a case study in how much Will Stein changes the personnel groupings compared to a year ago, where even when Oregon went five wide, they never went five wide receivers. They went one tight end, one running back, three three wide receivers, right? And then they could shift into you know tighter, more run heavy uh, formations there. But they went five wide a lot last year and, and utilized receivers in those spots. I mean, Chris Hudson had some great moments there. Franklin had some really good moments. The the um, uh, the touchdown against Washington State, the game winner that came out of five wide with Troy Franklin. But maybe Will Stein is looking at you know, the, the idea of going five wide this year with Bo Nix and saying, I want to have one tight end on the field, that being, you know, T Ferg, of course. And I want to be able to put four receivers around him rather than having a couple guys being a running back. Yeah, that could be, could, could absolutely be. That's more like what he ran at UTSA, a lot more 11 uh, personnel, one tight end sense and whatnot. So that could be a, a possibility for sure as to why they feel like this is an addition, but I'm really curious as to 
where he's going to fit in the depth chart, how quickly he can develop chemistry with Bo Nix, who's already got chemistry with with three receivers that we know of, right? And based on the spring game, it looked like Treshawn Holden was a guy that Bo Nix already started to trust and really wanted to get the ball to. But we know he's got chemistry with Troy Franklin. We know he's got it with Hudson because Hudson was Oregon's second leading receiver a season ago. And we even know he's got it with Tez Johnson, who's his brother, right? So that's all built in. So I wonder where Bryant falls into that kind of hierarchy of, of target prioritization for Bo Nix. But I think what, you know, it allows him to do is, is maybe not have to, you know, rely on one or two guys, right? It is have that depth of weapons to where he can just make the right read, dissect the defense and put the ball where it needs to be and trust that he's going to have an explosive playmaker on the other side. And Bryant can absolutely do that. Uh, this was from Mark Culkin, who's our uh, USC host here at the Locked On Network. I said, you know, can you give me a brief rundown of Gary Bryant Jr.? He said, quote, Gary has the speed to to burn and can get you the tough catch in traffic. Plus, he can return punts and kickoffs too. his freshman season. He returned to kickoff to set up a game winning touchdown against UCLA. Excuse me. And I would definitely watch out for him in, in the return game because that's been like I, I think that's pretty open for the Ducks at, at this point in time. Like Troy Franklin's been back there returning kicks or uh, returning punts. I don't know if I love that. I don't know if I need Troy Franklin to risk an injury in that sort of spot. You, we've seen a variety of kick returners come through. Like I, I could definitely see him being a, a factor in that game. In uh, 24 total returns over his first two years, he averaged 26 yards a return. So you know, not uh, not not bad for sure. But I want to know your thoughts on Gary Bryant. Send me all your questions, and we'll get them answered this week uh, for sure on the show. And we've got another transfer to talk about at a position that everybody's been watching, myself included, over the last several weeks. But I think Oregon's finally done there. We'll talk about that after we talk about Built Bars, which are, indeed, a delicious snack without all the sugar and calories. They're the best-tasting protein bars ever. They really are. I was never a protein guy. Built got me into them. They're in my pantry. They're in my golf bag everywhere. I even have one in my golf bag here in Central Oregon where I am bringing you this very show in the Bend area this week. It is uh, beautiful and wonderful, and it is great to be back in the state of Oregon. But it's always great to be back and eating Built Bars, which are covered in 100% real chocolate. That's right, real dark chocolate, churro, mint brownie, peanut butter brownie, cookies and cream. They've got everything, 130 calories, 4 grams of sugar, whopping 17 grams of protein for all the great flavors. Built.com, Walmart, Sam's Club, you can get your next order of Built Bars at all of those locations. Pharmacy section at Walmart, variety box at Sam's Club, all your specialty flavors at Built.com. If you're close to a Sam's Club, get a 13-bar box with hip flavors, brownie batter, puff, and churro puff. Do so. You can thank me later. Always a nice moment to get a nice little break in there, right? Rest the voice and get a nice little hotel cup of water. All right, so... Caden Ludwig is the other transfer that uh, Oregon brought in. Definitely, I think even more so than Casey Kelly, a bit of a depth piece at, at tight end. Now, he comes over from Colorado where he did not play a season ago and was actually recruited as, as a linebacker, edge player, kind of outside linebacker sort of prospect. He was a three-star coming out, uh, not super highly sought after, was uh, not even in the top 1,000 recruits nationally. Doesn't mean he can't become a good player, but, you know, this isn't, uh, a guy that Oregon was like after in the 2022 cycle and then wasn't able to get, but they came back later and kept the relationships. But 
He made the switch to tight end, didn't play for Colorado. He's 6'5", he's 240 pounds, so he's physically ready to step in and play that that position. That's a big dude, like a, a big, big dude. But there have been, I don't think it's been totally confirmed yet, but there have been rumblings that he could be a preferred walk-on rather than a, a scholarship player. Regardless, he is, I think, fully solidifying the tight end depth for 2023. Because now you have... Tiford, you have Patrick Herbert, you have Kenyon Sadiq, the true freshman, you have Casey Kelly, and now you have Caden Ludwig. That's five tight ends that, you know, even if he's coming in as a preferred walk-on, you know, they, they have a scholarship or two available by by last count, so they, they could maybe give him one or give him the chance to earn one over the course of the season and whatnot. Not sure how that all plays out, but anytime you bring in a transfer, it's hard to see you bringing in more at that position, especially when you've added two. So I, I think Oregon is is done adding portal tight ends. Not necessarily are they done entirely in the transfer portal, but it kind of feels like things have really, really settled down on, on that front and that they've got sufficient depth at uh, every position, except for perhaps uh, one other position, that being linebacker. We'll talk about that via mailback question later in the show. Interesting note about Ludwig, though. He's class of 2022. He redshirted a year ago. So in the old-fashioned sense, he's got four years of eligibility left for the Ducks. So maybe it's a situation where he comes in as a preferred walk-on now, and then he's a scholarship player next year, but they want to hold the scholarship for now. Like, I don't know. Like, that doesn't seem like the most unrealistic situation in the world to me. So Oregon's got five tight ends that clearly they feel solid about, and he is one of them. I don't expect him to be a big time player, but you never know when he's going to, you know, have to step in. And the the injury to Ferguson in in spring football once again highlighted like the the need to add players at that spot. And Oregon went out added Casey Kelly from Ole Miss. They were not able to get Varkey's Gums. They didn't get Sadu Traore, who were coming from. Uh, in North Texas and Colorado, respectively, but they get a different Colorado tight end. I, I think it makes a lot of sense, but I think they're done adding portal tight ends. And I, I feel perfectly fine about uh, the, the depth of that position group going into this year and the talent as well. Like T Ferg is a beast. I think this will be his last year because I think he's a Sunday kind of guy. And Patrick Herbert is solid, not, not, not elite, but poised to take a step forward, should be given the opportunity to do that as you know, what should be Oregon's number two tight end. And I think for the number three tight end spot, I think it's a battle between all these guys, right? You'd have to maybe lean towards Casey Kelly is having the advantage, but I saw Kenny and Sadiq in that spring game and he was pretty darn explosive, a little bit smaller for sure, but he looked pretty explosive as well. So I'm, I'm excited about what, uh, what he brings from, from an upside standpoint. So Ludwig and Brian, those are the two transfers. Again, drop your thoughts below if you're watching on YouTube or hit me up on Twitter at Smalls underscore 55 or at Locked On Ducks. By the way, quick note on the mailbag before I get to two questions uh, from, from some of you out there. I had a, uh, I, I've been getting a lot of questions, which I love, by the way. I'm going to get to all of them. I, I will never let a question go unanswered. But Wayne, if you're out there watching or listening, I believe you sent me a question I had, I'm not even kidding about this, by the way. I had a reminder on my phone to add your question in the mailbag, but I forgot where you sent it to me, and I couldn't find it in the Twitter DMs, and I might have missed it in the YouTube comments. But Wayne, if you're out there and you had a question recently, let me know and uh, hit me up with it so I can get to it on, uh, on, on an upcoming episode of the show. This one comes in from Nate. 
Hey, Spencer, do you have any news or comments on the recent rumors about Washington and Oregon being, quote, vetted and, quote, cleared for the Big Ten? This again. Uh, do you think this is likely to happen? No. Or just another realignment rumor? Could this have something to do with the PAC media deal being prolonged? Thanks. Love the show. Appreciate you, Nate. So, no, I, I don't give a whole lot of validity to these rumors that are flying around from Twitter and are just kind of out there. Like there, there's some, you know, pretty legit reporters who are saying like, oh, the Big Ten is, has, has vetted them and whatnot. So here's what I would ask the people who read this and say, oh, well, that means Oregon and Washington. It's going to happen. They're going to get the invite and whatnot. And I'm, I'm happy to come on here and tell you I was wrong if I end up being wrong on this. But Oregon and Washington at any point in time would jump to the Big Ten tomorrow if given the opportunity. USC and UCLA announced that they were leaving in July. Now, from July until now, the only thing that has changed is that the Big Ten lost their commissioner. They have since hired a new one, Tony Petiti, after Kevin Warren was basically forced out by the Big Ten presidents. Now, the reason the the prevailing winds would say that the reason Kevin Warren was forced out as Big Ten commissioner is that the Big Ten president said, we're good. We're fine for now. 16 teams, we're chilling. We'll start it next year, and we don't need to go further west at this point in time. If at any point in time, right, and what is my what, what is going to be written on my gravestone, everybody, as I say on Locked On Pac-12 all the time, presidents vote on realignment. The presidents drive the bus here. Other people are involved, absolutely. But at the end of the day, Nothing happened. Nothing happens if an overwhelming majority of presidents in a conference don't want it to. Individual schools can act like USC and UCLA, but in terms of things happening on a conference-wide level, most of the presidents have to sign off on it. Not fifty percent plus one. It's at least in the Pac-12. It's been eight out of uh, eight out of twelve or eight out of ten, somewhere in that range. I, I don't know that there's ever been a specific number, but I know that it's well over fifty percent have to approve. So. For the Big Ten presidents who had a commissioner who was aggressive, forward thinking, and wanted the Big Ten to, you know, be the most national conference in the country and whatnot. And they said, "Eh, we're we're, we're okay. We're good for now. Why don't you go somewhere else and we're going to bring in a different commissioner? What changed between July and now? The answer is nothing, right? Other than the Pac-12 didn't get a deal. Oh, wait, the Pac-12 hasn't had a deal this entire time. So Washington and Oregon, theoretically, starting in 2024, have been, quote-unquote, on the market this entire time. Any time since from July until now, the Big Ten could have extended an offer, and Oregon-Washington, I believe 100%, would have jumped ship. I have long said the Big 12 doesn't have the power to tank the Pac-12, but the Big Ten absolutely does. So... When I see these reports about all they've been vetted and whatnot, here's what that sounds like to me. When you're an athletic director, and I've seen this up front in in, in Division I universities, when you are an athletic director and you know or have an inclination that your current head coach for a given sport might be departing, You go into that interview process if and when that coach departs with names already in mind. So here's what the Big Ten is essentially doing. They're preparing for the possibility of changing their minds with regards to further westward expansion. And if it's true, you know, 
it's hard to know what's what, what's true with all this realignment stuff and such. If it's true that the Big Ten vetted and cleared Oregon and Washington, well, then why don't they have an offer? The answer is that I think the Big Ten is preparing itself for a potentially further evolving and changing landscape to be ready for any and every situation. So they're looking at Oregon, Washington, and let's say they actually did do this and said, okay, yeah, those are teams we could add. But you don't have an opening right now, right? If a company is going to hire for a position, let's say they're going to create a new role, which is essentially what the Big Ten would be doing. If you're going to create a new role at your company, you're going to go into it before you announce the opening with some candidates in mind who you'll want to bring in to interview. They might be friends of the CFO or the CEO or your vice president of marketing if it's a new role in that department, whatever the case may be. You're going to have an idea of who you might want. So the Big Ten might have an idea of, hey, one day we might want Oregon and Washington. But do I suspect that that day is now? No. Because if it were, if that day were now, I don't know why they would be waiting until this particular moment, right? Only potential theory. And, and again, I don't think this has, this just popped in my head as I was positing all of this, is that the Pac-12 teams would have less leverage with the negotiations for the new media rights deal taking this long is they could potentially offer a smaller dollar figure to Oregon and Washington. But if they wanted to offer that right at a reduced rate compared to the other big 10 teams, at least at first, Oregon and Washington would still take it because it'd still be probably more than what the, than what they would get in the PAC 12. Like if you said, Hey, we'll give you 40 million here. The big 10 deal pays like, I think it's 75 million. If they said, here, here's 40, 45 million per year, yeah, they're going to take it because the Pac-12 is clearly not going to reach that number in terms of a media rights yearly payout per school. So I, I don't get the feeling that this is Oregon and Washington on the cusp of going to the Big Ten. If these rumors are true, which I, I have no reason to know if they are, I have no way or I have no way of knowing if they are. I have no way of knowing if, if they're not. I've got pretty worn out on trying to figure out what's true and what's not over the last several months. In, in the realignment landscape. But if it is, I think that's the Big Ten preparing for the future, not getting ready to make a move that is imminent. We'll see, but I have uh, serious doubts on that front. Okay, uh, last one, wrapping up from Eric, who's an everydayer out there. Guy is absolutely tapped into Locked on Ducks, and I love it. It's confusing to me, Eric says, that the Ducks don't seem to be looking to add another linebacker from the transfer portal. We only have six scholarship athletes to cover two positions, and injuries are part of the game. Do you think the coaches might be planning to move yet another safety to linebacker in the fall? If so, who do you think that might be? He's, of course, referring to Jamal Hill, who's going to play linebacker after having been a safety the last several years. So, two thoughts. I don't think there is a body at safety that could move down to the linebacker position, right? Jamal Hill was that guy and he's already made the jump. So I don't think we can do that, right? Brian Addison is 6'5", but he's thin. He's built more, much more like a safety or, you know, um, Evan Williams. Don't think he's got a, a linebacker sort of build. Steve Stevens, no. Tysheem Johnson maybe would be the closest, but again, I think he's got the sort of speed that you want on the back end of, of your defense if you're Dan Lanning, Tosh Lupoy, and the rest of the defensive staff. So I don't think they're going to move anybody else. And frankly, they, they could add a transfer, but I don't know that they need to. Because when you only have two linebackers on the field at any given time, unless it's a goal line package, 
if you got six guys there who are scholarship players, I think that's enough, right? You, you could. It's kind of like the wide receiver room. Like, you could, and you could see how the coaches would get to that spot. But do they need to? Is, is it is it a pressing matter? I don't think so, no. Especially when you have a redshirt freshman named Devin Jackson who hasn't played very much that I've been high on for the last couple of years since he came out uh, and, and came to the Ducks a season ago, who's got elite high-end speed, who looked really good and explosive with that speed in the spring game. I think if you're looking at a linebacker court, yeah, they don't have Keith Brown anymore, but they, they seem to like Connor Sowelli from Arizona State or else they wouldn't have added him. But if you've got Justin Jacobs, Jeff Bossa, Jamal Hill, Connor Sowelli, Devin Jackson, like I, I could see it, but they might look at what they have in that room and say, we think boss is going to take a step forward. We think Jamal Hill is going to fit in. We think that Devin Jackson is somebody else who can take a step forward, start to grow into his own as an Oregon football player. And Justin Jacobs, you know, if he stays healthy, you know what you have. So they, they could add another one for depth purposes, but I, I don't, I don't see them as necessarily needing to do that. But as always, curious what you all think. Thank you so much for the question. Keep them coming in. YouTube comments, Twitter at smalls underscore 55 or at Locked on Ducks. Appreciate everyone listening. Have a wonderful rest of your day and go Ducks.